Hello and welcome to The Other Side, a faith-based think tank on policy, economics, entertainment, and community. We talk about everything here. I'm Evan, and I'm here once again with the coolest co-host on this side of eternity, Erin. <laughs> hey, everybody. I hope you are ready to rumble today because we have a great, great podcast ahead for you. Our topic today is the changing face of activism and the right to protest. Now, we all know the incidents of the last five years in this country have inspired many protests, as well as the rise of the social justice group entitled Black Lives Matter. We've seen protests on the streets, on social media, on the football field. Many people are standing up and letting their voice be heard as an act of their discontent with the criminal justice system and police brutality. So today we want to discuss those issues. We want to find out what is the call of Christian when it comes to protest and activism, as well as what exactly social justice activism means in this new era. Amen. In our studio today as our guest, we have what we call a young gun in the house. Whoop, whoop. Oh yeah, young a young gun. gun. This is a nickname <laughs> we affectionately give to our voices who happen to be millennials and under. These are leaders and future leaders. Amber Drumgool. Let me tell you a little Woo, bit about yeah. Amber. It's exciting. Please don't hype me up. I'm, I'm, I'm hyper up. Amber is a PhD <laughs> student at Yale University's Department of Religious Studies, mm-hmm. specializing in American religion history. She's interested in the significance of the anointing oil ha, in the Black Amen. Pentecostal holiness tradition and in Amen. ways in which its material and metaphoric usage impacts Black. Black popular culture. In addition to material religion, her research intersects with the fields of African American studies, women, gender, and sexuality studies, ethnomusicology. She obtained her Master's of Arts in Religion from Yale Divinity School with a concentration in Black religion in the African diaspora while also enrolled in Yale's Institute of Sacred Music. She completed her undergraduate education at Oberlin College and Conservatory where she double majored in religion and musical studies. Amber hails from Nashville, Tennessee. And let me make it clear, she is not a Titans fan. She's a Seahawks fan. (laughs) I am. Football. Talk about protests. And is passionate about the work that centers and amplifies black Southern life, culture, and art. And one more thing I want to say. All black everything. One more thing I want to say. She's a co-founder and co-chair of the Graduate Students of Color Coalition here at Yale University. And she has... uh, 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 plenty of experience in protest. Welcome, mm-hmm. and, and let me just add, soon to be our next president. <laughs> wow, Amber. No, it ain't about what you want. Okay, about what you want. It's about what the Lord says. The Lord has a resume by the time. Okay, most people have that kind of a resume by the time they're sixty. So we are very blessed and pleased to have a woman, a young woman, who has accomplished so very much in her life. And so. With no further ado, let's get this discussion started. I want to first by saying in the past, um, when you look at protests in the past by baby boomers, protested for, they protested for civil rights, women's rights, labor rights, and more. There was always a central figure galvanizing the protest, whether it was King, Malcolm, Huey Newton, or Angela Davis, there was a central motivating figure. In this generation, however, things are a bit different. With the Occupy Wall Street movement, as well as Black Lives Matter, there seems to be no central figure leading the protest. So, Amber, why do you think that is, and do you think a central figure is needed? I think 
Part of the reason is because protests are galvanizing around moments, right? So you see mm-hmm. Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin. We have a moment where Black Lives Matter is officially um, put into place. You have Black Mike mm-hmm. Brown, which is a moment where people are mm-hmm. gathering together. So for one thing, the the elements aren't really together for it to be one person leading one type of moment because there's no way to wait. We don't have time to wait on that. Mm. Um, we don't have time to wait for the buildup of a leader at this point. And, 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 and I do understand that because I think King was already working towards civil rights before Rosa Parks did what she yes. did. So he was able to come in and step in. And you're right, because I do notice that we're motivated by the central figure that the atrocity or the tragedy happened to. Yes. Um, where instead of having a leader come in and, and galvanize the people. But do you think that that's to our detriment? Or to our benefit that we don't have a, a central leader. I think it's there are strengths and weaknesses. Um, one of the strengths that I see is that there's no particular person that you can look to to target to take out. So Black Lives Matter will still be here mm. if, say, a D. Ray McKesson were to like, and he's been quieter recently. Um, say he were to like back off or like. Um, have to like move away for a little bit. Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. would still be there if the two ladies that founded it have to like back off a little bit. Whereas mm. in the age of the leader and the central figure, if you take that person out or destabilize them as a figurehead, then you have problems. I think it was three ladies, right? That's an was, excellent point. But that's a great point. But I think mm-hmm. it was like three ladies, right? I, I'm, I'm just to correct that. For Black Lives Matter, For Black yes, Lives Matter, three, I think it was three ladies. Three women. Yeah, yeah. yeah there right. are three women who began that. But that's an excellent point, great point um, Amber, and I hadn't thought of it before because when you do uh, kill the head, that seems to, in some ways, uh, damage the movement. So in this way, these movements can continue. It's interesting because when I heard you talk about moment, it's funny because this is something I remember when I took a, I don't know, were you here when we took a class with D-Ray? D- yes, you, you took that class, right? I did take D- that D-Ray McKesson actually came in and, and did a weekend class. It was a leadership, I've got transformational leadership classes. Yeah. It's a kind of series of leaders come and they give like these weekend seminar classes. And one of the things that's interesting that I remember writing my paper and was about sort of the lack of theology you see in a lot of the movements, in a sense, for example. Um, well, at least in that movement, there wasn't, and even DeRay had mentioned that, and not not as a criticism, crit, not, not, not in a way where he was sort of felt criticized, but he said, look, you know, this theological thing, I don't really understand. That's why I'm here to talk to you guys. So I remember talking about bringing more of that into it, because you saw a lot of that, uh, you saw a lot of that a lot more in the in the civil rights civil movement, rights era. With, with yes. the civil rights era, although let me, I'll even argue that what Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, and Eli, I think Holly, the third young man from the San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers has done, they're all Christians, has been, has a theological element to what they're doing, although no one's really talking about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the common misconceptions that we actually have <sighs> and talk of the theological and the church foundations of civil rights movement is that it was all the churches were together and they were all backing it, which is not true at all. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. there were churches that were definitely spaces and places of um, cohesion amongst the movement that helped it move forward, but the majority of churches, black and white, were not behind the civil rights movement. And as far as a theological backing, you know, I'm interested in liberation theology. I'm excited. Penny well, Marshall Terman is here. Yes. You know, maybe Erin, you know a little bit more about this, but we'll get to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, but I want to say too, and because I totally agree with you, Amber, that um, 
But still, the cornerstone of that movement was faith because it was led by a pastor. It was led by a man of faith. And so his the premise of his uh, approach to it was always faith-based and mm-hmm. scriptural, mm-hmm. which is different now. I'm saying juxtaposed to Black Lives Matter, which is fine, but it is still, you know, a glaring difference. And, I, and also I hear what you were saying, too, just in terms of what you were saying, Aaron, about uh, not a lot of the churches being behind the movement in the in the past uh, mm-hmm. in during the civil rights era, mm-hmm. and that's true in general in terms of any sort of movement. You, in, in hindsight, we look at it and we think more people were, were behind what was going on than, that, it, was. than it was. Yeah. And and so, <clears throat> but going back to your point, I just want you to continue to expand on that. Uh, I hear what Aaron's saying about sort of this this one leader and how that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But how does that even you're going in the direction, and, and, and I don't want to sort of put words in your mouth, about sort of sort of that minority of, of, of the misconception of, of the church being behind so much of the movement when it was a small part of it. Yeah. And so link that to sort of what we see now, even sort of the, well, the, the church the being there, the lack of, the church, of right? Or right, the, absence, the, lack, right. the lack of the church. And who we are called as Christians and what we're called as Christians to do in terms of protest. Absolutely. Um, let me get my thoughts in order. Take your time. Take your time. And let me let me throw a nugget in there to help you with your thoughts. You did mention bumping up against your church when yeah. you started to protest. So tell us a little bit about how that that might help. Maybe maybe uh-huh. that maybe it that will. Some it thoughts. will. Right. It will. Um, but I actually started protesting in undergrad. I went to Oberlin College and Conservatory. Um, it's known for being a little bit radical, a little bit more protest oriented. There's a protest every week on that campus. But mm-hmm. I was there. And while I was there, there was a huge event where we saw people walking around in uh, Ku Klux Klan regalia. Um, They were walking around. I lived in the African Heritage House, which is a house to celebrate African ancestry, people of African ancestry and things of those natures. They were targeting that area specifically. Um, And the campus wanted to hush it up. They wanted us to be mm-hmm. quiet, do your studies, don't act like there's anything here that can harm you. Because, you know, Oberlin's the first college to admit black people. Oberlin's the Ooh, first college wow. to admit women. That. They have this image. I didn't know that. But we flipped that on its head and said, but what does that mean if you're disrespecting and dehumanizing black people within your space? So mm. protests erupted. We shut the school down. We made them cancel classes for a day. Like, that's that was my turning point. Um, And at that point, the next year, I believe Mike Brown happened. Mm. Um, At this point, I'm very involved in campus ministry. I am on the executive board of InterVarsity Student Fellowship. Like, I'm, like, in it. But there were questions that they weren't answering for me. There were Mm. questions that my churches weren't answering for me. If, you know, all of this individual sin that you talk about, if, if that's the worst of it, then what do I do with this political sin that I see? What do I do with this social sin that I'm seeing that y'all aren't addressing? Um, Mm -hmm. So going through a time internally of kind of a a faith uh, issue, um, but also protesting my church. I don't want to say that they were hostile towards it, but they had no idea what I was doing um, Mm. and didn't see how it connected biblically at all. Um, They're very much heavenly high. We're waiting Mm -hmm. for God to come. We're waiting for Jesus Mm -hmm. to come and lift us up. Um, and we don't really have to do anything down here because it didn't matter. And what I was experiencing was bumping up against that. Mm. Um, and I, w- I want to speak to that because I think that where Christians or the body of Christ makes the mistake is they forget the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. He came to make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He came to challenge the status quo. He made even Jews who he was who was coming to to preach to uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. 
And so if we don't challenge the sin that we see, the racism that we see, which is in effect sin, then we're not truly Christians. We're not walking out the call of Christ. So I love that you challenge them and cause them to reexamine what they tried to pretend was okay. Yes. It's not okay. <clears throat> now, let me say this. That's, let me say this, too. You talked about two questions. First of all, your church was Pentecostal tradition. Was it a predominantly black church? Was it mixed? Black. Predominantly black. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. And the second thing, okay, we're like, oh, hmm, okay, mm -hmm. so, okay, let me just gather myself. But you know what, I think it, it, it just crosses color lines. People don't want, some people don't want to be offensive. Right. They want to pretend that some, they don't want to deal with it. They don't like confrontation. And they don't be, want to be perceived a certain way. And, and when you begin to speak up and protest, you are perceived received a certain way and you know to be to let me just add to i came up a little bit in that tradition and i think for my for a moment of time i slept walk through through certain periods <laughs> even though i read a lot of of stuff that was going on in civil rights and i really yeah. sort of really was really really revered those guys you know i that's i think what brought me out more so but i but i could see how they the doctrine of those places can kind of lull you to sleep and it's and it's done by when well-meaning people absolutely and i want to and i want the questions hold that thought. i want you to hold that i want you to answer that but i want to link sort of <laughs> sort of how you get from being in that environment to not liberation theology which a lot of people from that tradition have a problem with mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm, very but, much so so that's the second part of what i want you to address before but i want you to say what you're going to say yes right because it's that. it's deliberately connected and now i have to remember what exactly i was going to say oh man I'm I'm, sorry. oh i got you i got you <laughs> see what you did F. See, I know. I'm just, I'm just a um, but i wanted to say that that conflict um, was a big part of why I started studying American religious history. The conflict between liberation theology and what? Uh, not liberation theology, but the conflict in black churches that don't tend to be vocal about social justice issues. Mm. Um, okay. That's what made me start studying American religious history because I was like, where did this theology come start? From. Where did it mm -hmm. come from? Mm -hmm. Why do we do mm -hmm. this? I believe there's a reason behind every ideology that we have. Um, mm -hmm. So I was like, I, it took me back to the 19th, 20th century. And I was like, we didn't used to be this way. But if you mm -hmm. move on forward and you see that there were they were moving and there were movements that they were galvanizing, they got heartbroken. They got um, emotionally tired. It was it was mm -hmm. too much late after a couple decades of thinking that they were moving something forward and nothing <clears throat> was seemingly happening. That's when you see the theolo theology change mm. um, into a heavenly high. We'll just wait. Like, there's a reason for that. And once I learned that, I learned to be gentler with my people because I also mm -hmm. don't want to sit here and be like, oh, they're terrible. And what? Because it's not. There's reasons behind why we think that way. So once mm -hmm. I got that, that's why I study holiness Pentecostal tradition, because I was like, what is this? Like, why? We're black. Don't you see what's happening? And I was like, oh, trauma. And we don't talk about it. But trauma is a thing that happens in the church. And that's a necessary coping mechanism. I, think, I actually think most African-Americans in a, a greater or lesser sense are suffering from uh, PTSD yes. mm. because it, you can't see the things that are happening. You can't see a Rodney King be beaten or something and not feel affected in some sort of way. Absolutely. And, and, and we're tired and we're hurt and we're bruised and we're damaged. <laughs> That's why usually most of the new movements start with the youth. Mm -hmm. Because you guys come out and you're angry and you're oh, mad yeah. and you haven't had to deal with it as long. Because a lot on. of us are cynical. Yeah. You have, our, right, our but generation. you have a, a, somebody from a, my mother, she said, I marched. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm tired. And you know, when certain things came out, even when this current information, I'm, I'm sorry, with this current administration in terms of their treatment of women, she was like, we marched for this. We fought for this. Yes. 
I'm, I'm tired. You guys do it. Go out. Why do you think this is okay? Mm-hmm. But that just, um, you know, I'm piggybacking on your point that you get an older generation who's been through it and who's lost their jobs because of it and sometimes feel like, okay, I got to pay this <laughs> bill, so I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, go along to get along. Yeah. But um, taking it back to Christ, what do you believe is the call of the Christian when it comes to protest and standing up for um those we see who have been abused and uh, treated in a disparaging way. I think that the Jesus I serve, the God I serve, always stood on the side of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Always was a voice or allowed them to have their own voice in terms of what was oppressing them um, and be able to speak out on what they were doing. And he acted as a shield in as many ways that he could. Mm -hmm. So as far as Mm -hmm. an example, I think that's it. I look at the stories. I look at the woman at the well. I look at the woman that's about to be stoned. I'm looking at mm-hmm. his story in particular, a man who was taken down by the state because they were scared of him, you know, Amen. unarmed mm-hmm. very much and mm-hmm. was led away to be murdered, to be killed, to be assassinated. I'm looking mm-hmm. at this and that's my Jesus. So if that's what he did to his death, then I believe that that's what we should be doing. Mm. And so why do you think, because I absolutely agree with you, why do you think, very much of, and I'll call it the political or evangelical right, has not supported Black Lives Matter when, in truth, all Black Lives Matter is protesting murder, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the murder of compliant, unarmed men, or sometimes not compliant, but unarmed men. And so why do you think that there is not very much support, broad span, outside of the African-American community and some within the African-American community, and I'm talking about Christians in particular, Mm -hmm. why are we not all joining hands and saying, this will not go on another day? Our tax dollars are paying you to protect and serve, and that includes everybody, every citizen of every color, of every faith, of every background. I think Christians should be at the forefront of this. Why do you think that they're not? Because in order for in order to protect the humanity of people, you have to first see them as human. Mm. Mm. Amen to that. And there is a strain of Christianity, a pretty big influential strain called the white evangelical right. Um, and then sometimes black people are complicit as well. Um, that is a victim of history or uses history to galvanize its views on black people. Um, so in a history, historical context that has demonized and dehumanized and degraded the black body as much as America has and we haven't dealt with it, then you don't see anything wrong with an inhuman suspect mm. subject being murdered. If you think that that person is and they really do, if you think that that person is violent, right. you, hear, you hear police officers saying it all the time. I was scared for my life. If you see that person as a monster, as a Pentecostal, as a demon Mm-hmm. then you see nothing wrong with that person being dehumanized. So until we <laughs> dig out that mess. The fear of black skin. Yeah, the, the fear of black skin. Fear then we won't, and disdain for black skin. Mm-hmm. Then we won't get anywhere. And that's where they are. They don't see us as human. You know what's interesting mm-hmm. about that? Um, <clears throat> and I said this before when we did the, the talk with Dax on immigration. And one of the hallmarks of if you call yourself a Christian, I'm not talking to people who are not Christians. Mm-hmm. But if you call yourself a Christian, you're automatically a stranger. Mm-hmm. You're automatically a stranger. That's a hallmark. Hebrews talks about it. You see it even in, I think, the Deuteronomist talks about I think we, the Deuteronomist talks about sort of how when God's people gets into the land and God's like, oh, by the way, you know, 
I own the land, you just are basically, mm -hmm. I'm just paraphrasing the term, but leasing the land. This yeah. doesn't belong to you. So, mm -hmm. and, and they had a mixed multitude in their midst, so on and so forth. But one of the, the hallmarks of Christianity, I think, is not just being able to identify with the stranger, but identify with those who are vulnerable. Because in biblical writ, we talked about this before, the stranger or the foreigner is identified with the widow and orphan and the poor. You know, mm -hmm. Then we can get into the New Testament, and just like Amber talked about, where Jesus identifying with those on the margins, a great, a great examples in, I think, Mark 5, 1 through 20. We can get into that. We won't get into that now with the, the, the man who's possessed by the demons and the fact that he was, he was in the tombs, and in the tombs is where the poor resided. Mm -hmm. So I think that, 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 that you're right. I think that, but my point is there's no excuse for anyone who's a person of faith, particularly the Christian faith. I can't speak for Muslims. can't speak for, for Buddhists. can't speak for anybody else to not identify with not only the stranger, but also with just the human, the image of God within that individual person. You know, many of these people who judge guys, uh, let's say for example, um, somebody got shot, I don't know who it was, and they bring up the fact that they had a, 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 a traffic violation they didn't pay. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? You don't lose your life over stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, so I think that in terms of identifying, I think there's a call to action for those people who say they are followers of Jesus Christ, I don't care what race you are, yeah. To, to identify with, with humanity in a way that no one else does. You mm -hmm. can leave it to people who don't believe. They can, they can look at, they can believe the hype and say we're animals, you know? And they, even if, you, if they want to, they're not under the same mandate. And, when you, and the last thing I want to say is when you go outside of the West, Christianity is much different. I, oh, my God, I was just about okay, to say go that. On. When I <laughs> go went ahead, to, No, I want you to speak on it, too, No, Evan. no, 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 go ahead. You go uh, ahead. When, you take over. I talk too long. But you, you understand when you leave this country or when you begin to truly study the Bible, but even more so when you leave this country and yeah. go to other places, you see that America has tried to wrap Christianity in the flag and our own cultural bigotry. Yeah. And the call of Christ is so much bigger and yeah. broader and deeper than that. Yeah. And so we here, and I, and I love this country, we all love this country, but I feel that we've made this sort of Sunday school Jesus that doesn't truly... <laughs> identify the greatness, the bigness of the body of Christ and who he is right. and what he's called us to do and become in this world, yeah. not in this country, in this world. Yeah. So um, I do think when it comes to so many issues, and, and I absolutely want you to speak on it, Amber, that we've um, used a cultural bigotry to decide uh, what is God and what is not. Mm -hmm. okay. And that is inaccurate and unfair. Go ahead. I want to throw two things at you, and I want you to say your thing. Two things I want to, we're going to shift it a little bit real quickly because there's, there's two other things I want to go to. One thing is, talk a little bit about Colin Kaepernick, and I know, Erin, you have a little bit of a, a statement yeah, about yeah. voting. But I talk a little bit about that. Huh? Let her speak to what we just said, and then okay. let's go to Kaepernick. Yeah, because okay. I was going to forget again, Evan. Oh, don't forget, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, but no, it comes to another thing of not dealing with our mess. So very mm -hmm. much in this country on the foundation of this country is the the collusion of empire and imperialism with Christianity that we're still in and we're mm. still right. dealing with. It has a lot to mm -hmm. do with what's going on in Puerto Rico and what's going on in the Virgin mm -hmm. Islands. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And until we deal with that, that's why we can't get back to the bigger vision because our vision is tied to empire. Our Christianity yes. in this country is tied to empire. It's tied to um 
getting as much as we can at the expense of whoever is around us. And until we, that's why I got involved in history, until we deal with that, Mm. then we're always going to have this cognitive dissonance against, you know, this is what Christianity should be. And why is it this way in this country? Because it's what this country was built on. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands, how you see it, how you see it being played out there for our listeners? Um, So the way that people in the Virgin Islands and um, U.S. Co- U.S. territories. I almost said colonies. You mean, you mean the president? Well, <laughs> you mean tell us what the president of the Virgin uh-uh. Island, quote unquote, is going through. <laughs> you okay. know, sorry, um, inside joke. But the way, but being realistic, they were, they were, they are territories that were um, taken. Mm. Um, the indigenous of that land mm-hmm. are still there. Um, right. But the ways that we are dealing with them as almost empirical. Um, subjects like they're not important, like they're mm. not human beings. The, the like they're tri- refugees, like we're they're treating them like, like they're refugees. refugees that we don't even. Mm-hmm. I think refugees is a nice way of putting it because at least when right. you say refugee, there is an assumption that there's some type of action that needs to be taking place. Well, t- well, and well, tell us, tell us the unnice and way. There's not. <laughs> there is we, not. We open for that here now. You know. Um, but the way that we are dealing with the the black and brown people that are in Puerto Rico and that are in the Virgin Islands is very islands, not islands, um, is very indicative um, of how we are an empire driven country. And when something is no of no value to us, then we don't pay any attention. It's out of sight, out of mind. Okay, we're gonna come back to value. Um, also, Let's, we can go on. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, go ahead. You want to say something? Because I, I really want you, and because that's an excellent point, uh, Amber, when it comes to, unfortunately, people of color in this country, and I, and I pray, I pray, I pray we get past this, and, and I'd love to see it in my lifetime, although I wonder. <laughs> um, when you can go back to Katrina and, um, and now Puerto Rico, that the value of life, mm-hmm. there is... The hypocrisy is apparent because it is very different. It's very different how our government reacts to it. And it is sad and it is not Christ-like and it is not godly. But let's um, talk about Kaepernick because what Evan wrote an excellent paper on this. What was the title Uh, of your paper, Evan? It was called NFL Colin Kaepernick and 2000 Pigs. It's on my blog at evanpark.net. And it, it is an excellent blog, and um, I'm not a football fan. And Evan knows me. I've never slept walk through anything. When <laughs> I've always I came out of the crib with a fist up ready to protest, and um, but I had been sort of paying attention, but not paying fully attention. I'm completely aware of the protest now, but what I didn't know was that um, Kaepernick's protest was motivated motivated rather by his faith. And I'd like you to share a little bit of that, Evan, because I think it gets lost in all of the rhetoric and all of the uh, pseudo outrage of people um, misinterpreting the um, protests. I'd like you to talk about how it was indeed started by his faith. Well, it's funny. I, I, first of all, I knew for a while that Kaepernick was a Christian, and and uh, and then it wasn't. And when he did what he did, there was a an interview with one of his boys who actually joined him in the protest, Eric Reed, and Eric was explaining, because, you know, the narrative is getting lost. And Eric was saying, look, you know, we started with the best intentions. We were motivated by faith, you know, and it makes absolute sense, you know, just the way it was done, you know, but it was was motivated by faith. Now, it's funny, prior to when I knew 
Colin Kaepernick was a Christian before, you know, he's getting invited to all these Christian conferences and stuff like that, you know, blah, 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 evangelical. I remember watching one particularly. He's on stage. Just talk about, you know, your relationship with Jesus, you know. I'm sure he's not getting invited to those anymore. And it's funny right. because I saw a an article, I think you sent it to me, Erin, that basically talked about... A Tale of Two Christians. The Tale of Two Christians. Yes, you got, I read that. You got the, oh, great. We talked a little yeah. about that. The faith of Tebow versus the faith of, at least what people perceive is the faith of Tebow and Kaepernick, mm-hmm. how both mm-hmm. are motivated by their faith, but how one mm-hmm. is just much more... Um, Easy to accepted. consume and, and, right. and, and, mm-hmm. and, and accept it. So, mm-hmm. so I, I just want to keep that narrative out there that what's driving the young men mm-hmm. is the Christian faith because Christian faith get knocked for a lot of things. We can come back to that. Now, mm-hmm. Kaepernick, we want to talk a little, little bit about that. I've heard the issue by, by some people in the room mm-hmm. that, <laughs> and not you, you're not the only one, Aaron. That okay, you bring up the well, let's lo- we'll let Amber speak on it, first. right? I want to hear Amber talk Just about her. it because she, cause, cause you and Kaepernick, because you and Kaepernick are both millennials, <laughs> you're both millennials, <laughs> you're both millennials, and you can, you, and you can critique this, you're both young guns, <laughs> and Kaepernick had not voted, so there are people like, Yeah, I like what he's doing, but you know, my problem is, you know, he, he didn't vote, and I get it. But I'm willing to put that aside as a youthful error. Um, I don't know if Aaron is. I don't know if some of my other friends who brought well, it up I, are. But I want to hear well, what Amber I want said. Amber to speak. Go ahead, I'll Amber. Speak, speak, on on, speak on that. And I'm going to talk about Eminem <laughs> next, and then about <laughs> economics. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I, after she speaks on it, I want to speak, and then oh, no, we go absolutely. to Eminem, and then uh, okay, yeah, yeah. go on, Amber. I will say, I don't know the reason. I'm sure he's talking about it, but I don't know why he did not vote. Mm-hmm. Um. Of course, we have the narrative, you know, our ancestors died for the right to vote, um, but the right to, the right to choose, hmm. um, the right of choice. I don't know what was going on in his mind that he did not vote, so I refuse to demonize him hmm. for that, especially in light of everything that he's done and in light of the collusions that were happening with the elections that pretty much would mean that his vote didn't necessarily do what it was supposed to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So while it's kind of like a, uh, you could have voted, I'm not going to sit here and harp on that, particularly in light of what he's doing now. Okay, so I have a, a bit of a different view, but mine is not as harsh as Evan may <laughs> make it out to be. Now, um, I have nothing but respect and admiration Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. I think that what he has done is phenomenal. But not only that on the field, what he does outside the field when no one's looking, when the cameras aren't there, when he's giving and sewing mm-hmm. with his money. Because you can tell where a person's heart is when you look at their uh, bank account. Where are you putting your money? Where are you putting your resources? Where are you putting your time? And he puts his time into the community to benefit and help others. Now, if I was his big sister, I would have said, you have been given a platform. And people spend... And, and, and by, I mean, people, millions of dollars are spent on campaigns and donations to get a people's vote to go a certain way. People don't spend that kind of money if your vote doesn't matter. Mm. It does matter. You are given a platform. And while uh, federal elections or national elections may be harder to affect change because of the Electoral College, state elections aren't. Mm. They really are the last bastion of democracy, where it's not a republic, because this country is a republic, it's mm. not a democracy, it's a republic, but mm. state elections are run on a democratic way, and if you get out and vote, we can make change. Mm. Now, the other thing I want to say, um, and I did a post on this on social media, is about Jerry Jones. Now, he... Uh, 
said that if the I think he said that if the players took a knee, they weren't going to get to play or something like that, right, mm-hmm. Evan? Yeah, he yeah. did, okay, he did so, say that, which yeah. is something I actually looked at. Like, and yeah. some people were outraged, yeah. but in my opinion, it's time to take this protest from the stadium to the street anyway. Mm-hmm. The protest, in my opinion, has been co-opted in the meaning grossly misrepresented by those who fear change and truth. We need to take this protest to our communities where we can actually affect change in the lives of people who are uh, brutalized or treated unfairly by the police. If we start working with our community leaders and our state legislators, maybe we can pass a law that says a special prosecutor, because this is what they were protesting about, Mm -hmm. how we are treated by the police, that a special prosecutor can come in when it comes to police misconduct and and try them as a citizen because you can't change a man's heart i can't make you not fear black skin but i can cause a deterrent Mm. which is prison i mean you know what i mean prison Mm. is a big deterrent for a lot of people so if i say that you treat people who are uh, black and brown skin a certain way you will face consequences and retribution right now we have a da but the da works with uh cops They're, they're co-workers basically so we need a special prosecutor to come in so i think that a knee brings awareness, but legislation actually brings change. So we need to take it from the field to the streets now, galvanize our communities, get special prosecute a law for special prosecutors to come in when police do uh, things wrong, and, and, and let them face a jury and a trial and, and, and face the consequences of their actions in a different way than they are currently facing. That's my whole Kaepernick stand. You, I'm done. That's good. You want to spot it <laughs> all before I say, say anything else, sir? I don't think I heard anything that I necessarily disagreed okay. with. Um, I will, Amen. Sister. You know, I don't. I don't think I heard anything I disagreed with. Um, I do think we need both. I think we need um, the protests and the loud and the ruckus happening at the same time as we have people working on legislation, and we do see that Amen. happening. There are for several foundations in several states on the ground doing this work. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, what I'd I'd like to see, and I don't know if we're going in this direction, but he just uh, Kaepernick just filed the lawsuit. Yes. I saw that. Um, That's awesome. More <laughs> collusion. And what I would mm-hmm. love in my soul, I've been rolling it around in my head. I started is, praying for it, actually. Is, Whatever you want to say. If, if some football players, some NFL players who had the heart and the audacity to back him on that and try to work mm-hmm. out some type of, um, what's it called, class action suit. Oh, God, yeah. That's I would love that because I've been – Go on. Let me, go no, ahead. go on. Go ahead, go ahead, Amber. Um, because I've been really rolling around in my head um, strategy. Um, one of the things that they, they everybody thinks that protesting and community organizing is really, really easy. Um, that you just that go and you put out a flyer and people come to the protest and that is <laughs> right. not it. I've been on the side of the organizing and it is difficult, particularly when you have to figure out the best way um, for an action to actually get attention. Um, so you, I've been yeah. I've been thinking about strategy um, of protests for both police brutality, anti-blackness against the NFL, against all of these moving parts. Um, and I think that would be one way just to have people wake up because a lot of people are being like, well, what if we boycott? Then like it's already the NFL's already paid off for seven years. So, you know, advertising are already there. It really has to be on the player's end um, for that aspect. But again, I did not. That's something rolling around in my head, but I didn't hear anything that you said um, that I disagreed with as far as legislation goes.
for tuning in to the other side. Join me on the journey at AaronSands.com or you can follow me on social media at Aaron L. Sands. You can follow me on Instagram at Evan the Conqueror or on Twitter at Evan D. Park. Thanks again. See you soon on the other side. The views expressed on the other side are those of the hosts and the guests and do not represent the views of Yale University.